the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Welcome to Every Knee Shall Bow, your seasonal Catholic podcast on evangelization and discipleship. I'm Mike Gomer-Gormley, and I'm here to walk you through the essentials of what it means to follow Christ as a Catholic disciple. Let's begin. Last week, we talked about suffering and its role in discipleship. Jesus commands us to pick up our crosses daily and follow him, to deny ourselves, to hate father and mother, wife and children, even our own lives, or else we will not be worthy of him. We talked about how suffering, voluntarily embraced, makes us untouchable by the corrupting powers of this world. We talked about how you could either rebel against suffering or resign yourself to suffering. And there are three levels of that resignation. One is philosophical. That makes you virtuous. Choosing suffering and seeing all examples of suffering as not waste, but rather an opportunity to grow in virtue. The Christological. The Christological aspect is where we see Christ and what he did, how he suffered, how he offered it up for us and our conversions, that we can understand that Christ purchased for us the rewards of eternal life. And finally, level three is where we apply level one and level two to ourselves. We call this the saintly level, where we enter into his redemptive suffering for ourselves by joining our sacrifices and sufferings to his cross. Suffering willingly, lovingly embraced, produces the fruits of maturity in Christian discipleship, personal humility, compassion, especially for the poor and the outcast and those who are suffering as well. It wakens us to a dependence on grace and a lack of self-sufficiency. And ultimately, suffering teaches us the truest theology, which is the very life of the Trinity itself. Today, we're going to go on to the subject of repentance and conversion. What does it mean to truly repent? Jesus came into the world to seek and save the lost. You and I are born into a fallen and lost world where we experience the threefold alienation since the fall. I'm alienated from God, I'm alienated from my neighbor or the other or my beloved, and I'm alienated from even myself. The quest of the Christian life, then, is to be in conformity with Christ. This is where repentance and conversion lies at the very threshold of our spiritual growth in Christian discipleship. One of the common questions that was debated in the Middle Ages, and to some extent today, is whether or not Jesus would have, the Son of God, would have become incarnate in the world had Adam and Eve not sinned. Dun Scotus kind of answered that argument when he said, yes, of course he would have, as recapitulating all of creation as its crown. However, he wouldn't have come as a suffering servant. But that's not the world that we live in. We live in a world of sin. So why did Jesus come into this world? Well, he tells us several times what he came for. In fact, Frank Shee calls this the I came verses. There are about half a dozen of them. And the one I love the most is from Zacchaeus in Luke's gospel. If you remember the story of Zacchaeus, shimmying up a sycamore tree to see Jesus. He was an arch or chief tax collector. Everyone hated him. He was super rich through being a tax collector, taking his neighbors, fellow Jews money and sending it to Rome and keeping a bunch for himself. When he comes there, you have Zacchaeus who changes his whole life, right? And Zacchaeus says, I will give half of all my belongings to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone, I'll make fourfold restitution. And Jesus says, today, salvation has come to this house for this man too, is a child of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and save 
the lost. To seek and save the lost. That understanding, that phrase, Frank Sheed points out in his wonderful book, the Dif- What Difference Does Jesus Make, says, it's important for us in all the different I came sayings to start with this one, to seek and save the lost, because that lost element directly applies to his name, Jesus, which is Yeshua in Hebrew, God saves. And remember that the angel said that he will save his people from their sins. This is why we call Jesus Savior and Redeemer. He's buying us back out of our sins. Jesus Christ himself said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. In fact, when he heals the paralytic, Frank Sheed points out, it's exactly to prove his point that he had the power to forgive sins. He already forgave the guy's sins. Everyone was shocked. And then he says, all right, so that you know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins, rise, take up your mat and go. Isn't that powerful to think of that, that moment where Jesus demonstrated the exact nature of why he was here to seek and save the lost. So now we turn to Mark's gospel in Mark chapter one, verse four, we have John the Baptist. His preaching was a preaching of a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The purpose of which was to prepare the way of the Lord. That is for the Messiah to come to Israel, to make his divine visitation in Mark one fifteen, The first words of Jesus are the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And in Mark 6, 12, when Jesus sends the apostles out two by two on their first missionary journey, Mark says, so they went out and preached that men should repent. So we understand that repentance is at the very foundation of what it means to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, for Israel to receive the Messiah physically, for Christians to receive the word of God in their lives for the missionary preaching. All of this revolves around this notion of repentance and conversion. And this is it. Jesus says that he came to seek and save the lost. Now, Frank Sheed wants to take this understanding and apply it to our modern world. Lost means we're not on the right road, that we need to be set right. And modern man is indeed lost. But the problem with modern man is We don't know where we are or where we're going, and we don't even wonder why. We don't even care about the universe. Why is it here? Where is it going? Why am I here? Where am I going next? How will I get there? This is the problem of our modernity. It's not that we're lost. All of humanity has been lost. It's that now we don't even bother to wonder why we're lost. I don't know about you, but I've been lost before the days of smartphones. I was out driving really, really far, and it's it's good to remember these days because a lot of people have these stories where you're driving and driving, and you're like, oh, shouldn't that road have been here somewhere? And you just keep going, and you don't have your smartphone to be like, turn right now. Oh, no, turn, make a U-turn up ahead. And you're driving, and you realize you have gone. The other day, I did a retreat thing, and I didn't have any cell service, and I was I had ended up going about seven miles past my exit in the middle of nowhere at this retreat place, it was driving me insane. If you remember the early days of GPS, you would get that voice that would come on when you'd miss your exit and it would say, recalculating, recalculating. Well, that is what repentance is meant to stir up within us, that we are lost. We are going the wrong way and we need to recalculate where we are going. 
And this is the crisis that we today almost feel. This is, this is the words of Frank Sheet, and I love this. One feels almost physically the what-the-hellness of everything, the meaninglessness of life in general, and one's own individual life is pointless, one's lostness. He talks about how the result is futility is the very air we breathe. And so what do we do in order to escape this futility? He says the indulgence of the body's appetites is futility's inevitable resource. That is, you and I don't know where we're going, and we don't know where we are, so we can't know how to get there, and we don't even care. And in feeling this futility, what do we do? We turn to cheap indulgences, cheap pleasures, cheap things that cannot satisfy forever. We are in a crisis of being lost, you and I. And so what is given to us to be saved? Jesus, meek and mild? Frank Sheed takes to task the hymn writers as well as the great masters of Renaissance art where it shows Jesus as meek and mild and gentle, almost like you think if a strong wind comes by, he's going to be blown away, right? Frank Sheed wonders aloud if the models that they use for painting Jesus in all of these medieval photos or, or medieval paintings especially Renaissance paintings, he, they used a woman, uh, like a thin young girl, to, to paint Jesus. And you could also say of John, the beloved disciple. These pictures of Jesus, this is the problem with this, they have failed us. Some of these hymns, they have failed us. Because if you and I are really lost, if we are really in crisis, do you think this version of Jesus is the one we want in a crisis? Is this the type of man, Frank Sheet asks, you want in a crisis? No, you don't. You want the man of Jesus as depicted in the Gospels. I mean, if you go around telling everyone that Jesus was gentle, meek, and mild, and that's it, you would have surprised the Pharisees. You would have surprised the scribes, the high priests. Think about the money changers. Jesus, meek, and mild, that guy beat me up last week, right? Pontius Pilate, heck, even Peter and the rest of the 12. In Mark 3, I said this before, the first emotion that we get of Jesus is anger and grief at our faithlessness. So let's understand that when we are in a crisis of being lost, which we are, in fact, our governments are predicated on not being able nor willing to ask ultimate questions, right? To say, what is the meaning and purpose of life? In fact, the old Planned Parenthood v. Casey decision has to do with the questions of the meaning and purpose of life and the universe is beyond the scope of our political community, which means politically, we don't know where we're going. And that is very dangerous. But today, today we use the term lost. We use the term sin and savior, but they're not in vogue. They don't understand. As Frank, she says, hell is not mentioned at all. So who needs a savior? Heaven is not long for hell is not feared. No one cares about sinning against God today. We do care about sinning against our neighbor, like in hurting other people. But now we've learned how to aggressively sidestep whatever guilt feelings we have, because in the end, the means are justified by the ends. We rationalize our guilt away. So where do we go when man doesn't acknowledge sin, rejects hell, and even doesn't care that he is lost? So brothers and sisters, you and I have a monumental task ahead of us. We need to be the ones who not just fearlessly proclaim the gospel, but to be men and women 
who live lives of repentance and conversion as our primary witness, which means, yes, we too have a past, but now because of our repentance and ongoing conversion, we now have a future. So it is to the topic of repentance that we must now turn. Like we said at the beginning of this episode, Mark's gospel, chapter 1, verse 4, chapter 115, and 6, 12, talks about the centrality of preaching this notion of repentance. Repentance is the doorway or the threshold which one enters the Christian life. But what does that term actually mean? What are we doing when we are repenting? If you look up the Greek word, when the word repentance is used, that's a derivative from a Latin word, penitentia, which it could be repentance or penance. But when you look in the Greek word, it's an interesting compound. The word metanoia is a compound of meta, which means as a prefix to go beyond, to go above, to go after. It's a word that involves some sort of accompaniment, right? So you have this understanding that it's joined or it's immediate or it's less than or it's close to or it's afterward. It has a lot of those connotations that you need kind of like the clues of the rest of the sentence to figure out exactly what they're saying. But metanoia, the noia part, comes from the Greek word nous, meaning knowledge or to know. So when you put them together, Bishop Barron has a wonderful teaching on metanoia as going beyond one's own mind. Other Protestant authors, especially in the late 1800s and onwards throughout the 20th century, there was a, a strand of thought that tried to attack the notion of translating metanoia into repent because they saw that repent was just about sins, whereas metanoia involves a whole mindset shift. And so that understanding of the, the Greek into the Latin, into the Catholicizing Latin of the Middle Ages, put so much emphasis on penance and repentance that it missed the meaning of having the mind of Christ. Now, I would say uh, that that attitude is entirely wrong because we don't just look at the root words in order to understand what a word means, meta and noia or nous, meaning going beyond or above one's own mind. But we also look at principally how that word was originally used in that context. So what is Jesus Christ calling us to? What is John the Baptist's entire mission to prepare the way for Christ? And what did Christ send out the apostles in twos throughout all of Israel to prepare the way for receiving him? He sent them out for the forgiveness of sins. And you cannot have the forgiveness of sins without metanoia, without true and authentic repentance. Now, when you break down that word metanoia, like we did, you could say it means to go beyond your own mind, but most often the word is not translated literally, but rather as to change your mind. That is meta means after it's like after the fact I'm thinking backward and realizing, whoops, that wasn't the right way to go. I need a new way forward. In the context of theology, in the context of the Bible, metanoia always means a change of mind to go from sinful mindsets to the divine mindset or to the virtuous mindset. It means afterward, I got to change. And the thing that has to change is my very mind. In the Catechism of the Catholic Church on Prayer, it says that it could mean changing your mind, but probably its most intimate meaning is changing your heart, the very center of who you are. It means to go beyond that, to exercise the mind and the heart in going from point A to now some new point B. So let's apply this to the word repentance. 
when you hear repentance, you probably think of feeling sorry for my sins. And that's true. But that's not all that metanoia and penitentia means. And in fact, when you go to confession, the Catholic Church has actually equipped you with a sacrament of repentance that after baptism, this is the great sacrament of repentance to come back to life, a life that you willingly rebelled against. But in the practice of confession, it talks about not just being sorry for past sins, it also means to renounce all of your sinful attachments today. So there's a present moment. So I'm repenting of my past, I'm renouncing those sins in my life today, and then I'm resolving not to commit those sins again in the future. If you can truly repent, renounce, and resolve, then you have embodied the fullest notion of metanoia. You have truly changed your mind, changed your heart from the sinful ways of the old man, Adam, the old corruptible flesh, and you have chosen to have the mind and heart of Christ. This is how the Catechism of the Catholic Church puts it so perfectly in paragraph 1432. The human heart is heavy and hardened. I love that use of alliteration. That's killer. The human heart is heavy and hardened. God must give man a new heart. Conversion is, first of all, a work of the grace of God who makes our hearts return to him. God gives us the strength to begin anew. It is in discovering the greatness of God's love that our heart is shaken by the horror and weight of sin and begins to fear offending God by sin and being separated from him. The human heart is converted by looking upon him whom our sins have pierced. See, this is the beautiful gift of Christian repentance. We can first understand that Jesus Christ is asking of us to change our entire way of being in the world, that we have to change our hearts and our minds. We have to go beyond simple, this worldly thinking and have to adopt within ourselves a mature Christian outlook, which is heaven is more important than earth. And earth's importance is because everything that begins here echoes into eternity. And so I need to under, yes, that was a quote from the movie Gladiator. Okay, whatever. But I need to understand that this life matters because it prepares me for the next life, which never ends. And if that never ends, then who I am here is who I will be forever. So this is why we have to have a call to conversion, because you are not holy yourself. You are not the man or woman that Christ died and rose to make you. You have not conformed yourself to Jesus Christ. You know how I know this about you? Because I know this about me. Because you and I still struggle with the same old sins we've struggled with our entire lives. Jesus Christ is calling you out of darkness. You and I are lost. And the only way to be found, to be saved, is to be taken from the wrong road and put on the right road. But before you can be put on the right road, you have to, at the very least, desire it. And that's the problem. You and I don't desire to be put on the right road because it means we're on the wrong road and we have to admit that to ourselves. It means that maybe we've been on the wrong road for 25 years or for 37 years or for 80 years. We've been on the wrong road, choosing the wrong things and our pride cannot handle it. One of the quotes of C.S. Lewis that we used last time on suffering he says, now, why is the way of discipleship this way of the cross? And he says, because we're not people who just need a little bit of therapy, a little bit of self-help. We don't need to fix just one or two problems. We are rebels who must lay down their arms. 
And he was quoting St. John Henry Cardinal Newman. And that is so absolutely true. The call to conversion is the call to constantly lay down your arms. You and I, brothers and sisters, are in open rebellion against God all the time. And repentance allows us to see how deep that rebellion truly goes. But the reason why it hurts is because I have to say, maybe, maybe I've been doing it wrong. Maybe the words I've been saying, maybe the actions I've justified and the concepts I've used to justify mortal sin, grave matter, was wrong all along. And many of us do not have the courage to admit that. And Christ knows this, which is often why Christ leads us with love. He leads us with showing the face of mercy so that you and I can gaze upon the cross and say, well, if you think it's worth it, Lord, if you paid this price, Lord, maybe, maybe, maybe I can too. The goal of repentance, though, is not to say I'm a wretched sinner, but I'm a wretched sinner. I'm lost. So save me, Lord. And that's the problem. For many of us, we are so afraid of the first part that we never give Christ the chance for the second part, for God to give us a new heart, for his divine grace to reach into our daily lives and to restore us to himself. The weight and horror of our sin is too great for us to gaze upon. And so we distract ourselves. So we welcome futility. So we chase after cheap and empty pleasures, knowing that they will never ultimately satisfy. We do so many foolish games to justify our existences, but also to refuse to let Christ's act of justification be applied to us because it means that I need to lay down my arms. This is why the catechism says this. Jesus calls to conversion. This is an essential part of the proclamation of the kingdom. It is by faith in the gospel and by baptism that one renounces evil and gains salvation. That is the forgiveness of all sins and the gift of new life. You have to renounce the evil. Think about it whenever we have adults that are baptized or or infants that are baptized and and the promises you make at your baptism. Do you renounce Satan, all of his pomps and works and evil promises? I do. Right? We say this over and over again because you can't understand the life until you've walked away from that which is killing you. Think about St. Peter. The Catechism gives us the example of St. Peter's conversion right after he denied Christ publicly three times. Jesus, his look of infinite mercy, drew tears of repentance from Peter. And after the Lord's resurrection, a threefold affirmation of love for him. Peter, do you love me? more than these. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep. Do you love me? Do you love me? The goal of the Christian life is to be able to understand a few things. Number one, that God is God and I am not. Number two, that I need to change my mind and my heart and adopt the Lord's way of thinking and being in the world, not the other way around. And three, The only way to achieve Christ's conformity to Christ is by walking in the way of the Lord Jesus, which is the eight Beatitudes, which is the path of prayer and the path of suffering. It is a path that calls us out of this world. That's where I came from. 
and it calls us to something new, to the very life of God himself, the very Trinitarian life. That is where I am headed. And the Beatitudes is the road that will get us there. And so every time I disobey the Beatitudes and break one of the Ten Commandments, this is where repentance and conversion comes in. In paragraph 1431, we have this phrase that I love because it scares me. Interior repentance is a radical reorientation of our whole life, a return, a conversion to God with all our heart, an end of sin, a turning away from evil with repugnance toward the evil actions we have committed. At the same time, it entails the desire and resolution to change one's life with hope in God's mercy and trust in the help of his grace. This conversion of heart is accompanied by a salutary pain and sadness, which the fathers called amini cruciatus, the affliction of spirit, and compunctio cordis, repentance of the heart. So you and I, brothers and sisters, as long as we are alive, this side of the veil of tears will never lack for times and opportunities of repentance. You and I need to have on a, a vision of life that is ongoing conversion. So this excludes pride and arrogance. This excludes the number one thing that people in the world reject Christianity for, which is we're a bunch of sin-filled jerks who are hypocrites because we act like we're better than other people. If you and I understand that we are saved by his grace alone, then we have no place to boast as if we saved ourselves. We didn't. His cross I did not earn except by sinning. I didn't earn it by being a good little boy. So you and I have to realize that salvation consists in surrendering our mind, our mindset, our actions, attitudes, behaviors, or even our most intimate desires to the cross. When we come back from this quick break, we're going to talk about the final steps of true and authentic Catholic repentance. I also want to remind you to text EKSB to 33777, and that way you can hop on our email list. We promise we won't spam you. It'll be awesome. We'll be right back. Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz. I am the host of the Catechism in the Year podcast. If you've been following along with us, you know that God's plan for us is a plan of sheer goodness, that he wants to bring us into a relationship with him. You know that already. One of the ways that God actually brings us into this relationship and keeps us, sustains us in this relationship is through the sacraments. Again, you might know that already. You might further know that so many of us miss out on the beauty and the power of the sacraments. But Ascension has an answer to this. Ascension has created two new programs. One is called Renewed, Your Journey Towards First Reconciliation. The second is Received, Your Journey Towards First Holy Communion. We know that our youth, they're our future. And yet at the same time, it's so hard oftentimes to reach them with this incredible news of God's love for them in reconciliation, God's love for them in the Eucharist. If you want to check out Ascension's new program, Renewed, your journey towards first reconciliation, and received, your journey towards first communion, go to ascensionpress.com and sign up for a free preview. All right, welcome back to our final piece about repentance and conversion. If you and I are going to bring Christ into our lives, we have to welcome Christ into our lives the same way that John the Baptist prepared the people of Israel to bring Christ into the world, which is phrases like this. John the Baptist said, Bear fruit that befits repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. 
For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Brothers and sisters, it is not enough to admit our sins, which is that first step of repentance, where we own with sorrow the sins of our past. It also means today, in the present moment, to renounce our sins, to feel a disgust and a hatred. It's the only time we're allowed to hate anything in Christianity, is to hate what is evil, not who, but what is evil, to hate our own sins that'll separate us from the love of God, to renounce those things. It's not enough to feel sorry that you committed them in the past. Today, renounce and renounce again so that you can resolve with a firm purpose of amendment not to put yourself in the same situations, which we call an occasion of sin, not to commit the same sins over and over again in the future. If you want a future that is full of hope, you have to be willing to follow Christ with your cross and go after him. To change your mind, metanoia, means to go beyond your own weak, feeble an alienated mind. The divine intellect wants to pour himself out into you that you might walk, as St. Paul says, in newness of life. Repent, renounce, resolve. This is what it means to repent and believe in the gospel. So today, what you should do is make a true examination of conscience. As Catholics, We were never really taught how to repent, only how to go to confession. So what I want you to do is make an examination of conscience. Use things like the Ten Commandments, the Eight Beatitudes, the Seven Deadly Sins, the precepts of the church. Use these things. Draw on more than just one set. Go online and type in examination of conscience traditional. And there is a link to the Bulldog Catholic one that Father Mike Schmitz uses. That's what we use at our parish as well. So take that and do a long examination of conscience. Like I'm talking 20, 30 minutes. Go and do a holy hour. And then as you start to establish patterns of sin in your life and be like, okay, yeah, this is not an isolated incident. This is actually a thing that's connected to another thing that's connected to another thing. Yeah, this is kind of a big deal. I need to to address this. Then understand the bigger sins behind it and renounce those things in the name of Jesus. Renounce your lust, renounce your hate, renounce your anger, renounce these things and let them go in the name of Christ Jesus. And then resolve to not commit them again, to make a resolution. Now, this is what I mean by a resolution. You sit there and you say, okay, these are my three biggest sins. The three things that I need to renounce that are totally destroying my relationship with Christ. So I need to understand how I fall into these sins. What are the near and remote occasions of these sins? And I need to say, I would rather die than put myself into that same position again. Now, right now, you might not feel that rather intense feeling of I'd rather die than go into this occasion of sin. But if you stay on this path, if you continue to pray, continue to search after Christ's face, continue to walk in the way of the eight Beatitudes, one day, You will wake up and you will have the desire that it would be better for you to die than to hurt your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is when you know you are starting to get the mind of Christ. That is when you have had a change of heart from sin to virtue, from selfishness 
to sacrifice from you to him. God bless. 